0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at llc.
1: From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete
0: Mento. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another breakneck episode of the Trade Geek Podcast. I'm Pete Mento. And with me, uh, with us this week, is one of my all-time favorite guests on all platforms with everything I do whether it's the uh, Trade School, Trade Geek podcast, Global Trade This Week, just sitting around a bar at TAPA, um, you name it. Alex Sohanov, Captain, 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 the Triple Captain. Um, Alex and I have been friends now for 733 years. I look young and vibrant. He, however, looks awful. And I don't know if that's from just the stress or um, just genetics. But either way. You look tired, man. I'm just going to say that off the bat. Joined with us today is uh, his business partner, also a main merit, a mass maritime. Pardon me, I almost gave you guys a compliment. A mass maritime academy graduate, Chris Dunlap. The two of them together form the leadership of the uh, True North Group. I'll let them talk more about what they do. But uh, for the first, the third, the first guests of the third season. Of trade geek i really wanted to have them on and boy did i pick the right week to have the um cyber security guys come on uh in the midst of what is a hell of a crisis so first and foremost thank you both for joining us well thank you chris alex i could give a damn that you came on frankly uh but in all, all seriousness chris alex thanks so much for for joining us uh, yeah, so so thanks chris Everyone's heard way too much about Alex's background. How did you, did Alex just hit you over the head with a chair um, somewhere in Newport, Rhode Island, and you woke up working for this business? Or how did you end up getting mixed up with this absolute maniac?
1: Actually, it's kind of a crazy uh, story. Um, so we're both, uh, you know, alumni of uh, Massachusetts Maritime Academy. So we have that uh, small connection. But I actually started my career on the West Coast. And I was the facility security officer for physical security, which uh, we all know physical security over time, uh, you know, crosses over into the technology pretty quickly. Right. So in 2008, um, I started my career on the West Coast. And over time, as things became a lot more technology based, um, I got a phone call from another uh, mutual friend in Mass Maritime Alumni who was on the West Coast. And he asked me if, you know, I could have this guy come over and do a cybersecurity assessment of our terminal. I believe this was like 2013, 2014 timeframe. And I immediately said, no, I I don't have time for this, right? This is ridiculous. Um, And, uh, you know, I I got a busy, busy day today. And then that fellow alumni said, well, he's a mass maritime guy, you know, can, can, can he help him out? I said, well, he probably should have led with that, right? That he was a mass maritime guy. I said, okay, yeah, send him over, no problem. Uh, we ended up spending the whole day, and that was Alex in uh, in his team, and he was working for a nonprofit at the time doing a research project. And um, so I met Alex, and we spent the whole day together. And uh, you know, I opened up our terminal to to him. Um, I brought him to every department, set up interviews, let them ask their questions. Um, you know, pertaining to cyber, uh, including uh, letting them actually drive one of the uh, hammerhead cranes, which was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, oh yes, oh yes. So uh, after that day, you know, Alex did a, a fantastic, uh, you know, one day assessment of the terminal, and um, and I, you know, was able to help him out. He helped me out, and uh, we stayed in touch after that. So uh, fast forward to 2016. Um, I, uh, picked up my family and, uh, we relocated back to the East coast. Um, at the time I had two little boys and just wanted to raise them in New England back where, uh, where the rest of the family is. So, uh, as we entered, uh, 2017 that year, Alex, uh, reached out to me and he was starting to build a new cyber team for a uh, East coast maritime company. And he asked if I could, uh, help out. So I joined the team as a, as a you know, contractor at the time. And I did that for about two years, a little over two years. And then uh, I ended up joining the team as, a, as an employee for another two years. And uh, after that, um, the rest is kind of history. And um, you know, after a number of years in the history of working in cyber with Alex, uh, we decided it was time for us to jump off and do our own thing. And, uh, and have the freedom to, you know, work on the projects that we want to work on and expand.
0: I love it. Uh, I, I can remember vividly, well, two things. First of all, I was, I was on the board of that nonprofit that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, so I remember all that happening. And then second of all, I can remember vividly Alex calling me and saying, I'm gonna stomp out on my own. I'm ready to go out and, and uh, you know, go blaze a path on this and um, something he really believed in. And a lot of times when people ask me, I'm thinking about doing my own business in this industry, can you give me any advice? And I'd say to him, you need to go home, you need to spend some mirror time, look yourself dead in the eye and say, do I really believe in this? Because if you don't really believe in it, you're not gonna be able to actually do it. And you're gonna find yourself sitting, working in someone else's office. So um, it's been a year and a half now that True North has been out in the industry and I know that it's, 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 uh, it's going well. So the first, the first hurdle for everyone to achieve is, do you make it past the first six months without working at a real job? So uh, you, know, you, you guys are a, uh, a financially solvent concern. I know that you're continuing to, to work and expand. And I just want to say how incredibly happy I am and how proud I am of, of both of you for, for what you've accomplished. And you both deserve a good, well, Chris, I'm, I'm going to say you deserve a good pat on the back uh, and alex as well guys this is this is something the industry needed i'm glad that you're you're pushing forward with it where you saw it where there was a vision and there was an opportunity you actually you put your your shoulder to it you made it happen so you know the industry owes you one so thank you for that uh, I, I do I do because we have limited time thanks zoom uh, I wanted to talk specifically about a couple of things and the the first is going to be a year and a half ago when you started this, and I think three years ago, Alex, the first time you and I really talked about this digitally, where we saw maritime terminal, ship operation, cyber as opposed to now. Do you feel that we've we've and you can say in whatever capacity as 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 shippers, you know, as governments, as terminals, as whatever? Did the two of you, either of you, really see a, a big change? Or has, has there been a lot that's been done? Do you feel that? in anything from from either um, awareness to actual action? You know, is there a lot to report on in that time?
2: Chris, you want me to start? Yeah. Um, I, we can only speak for the, you know, the clients that we're actually working for and working with. Um, I think that's important to, to say. Um, and what we can say is that group has made a lot of progress. Um, and that started with their own commitment and, um, professional curiosity, uh, business curiosity, uh, first, which then became their own journey. And we joined journeys together on that. if, if, if that's the best way to say it, because it is a journey, it, it's, you know, learning about what this all means, what is an attack surface, what is, what is how do, how do our digital um, how does our digital in- integration and our business priorities all kind of intertwine with the frailties of cyberspace and it's all they've all been on their own journey with us and have all taken their own approaches um, but they are making great progress and it's gone from you know the what about to what do we do next and um, and, and a total commitment.
0: We speak a lot, Alex. You and I—we're on the same circuit. A lot of the same people that ask me to speak will ask you to speak. Mm. Um, do you do you feel when you speak? And I, I, hey, you hate it when I'm in the audience. I know you can't. <laughs> say it, I, I make it a lot harder for you uh, by You always set traps down. for me. I do. Um, <laughs> it, it, is is the general? Is is the general populace? Do they get it yet? or are we still fighting an uphill battle with people at least admitting this is a real problem?
2: You know, um, I think the folks that navigate ships, operate ships, own ships, and handle cargo, operate and own businesses and transportation and port facilities and so on, I think they get it. I think that, and particularly the ones that we've been working with, I can only really speak for them, but there seems to be a general movement towards progress on this. And um, yeah, I, I think I think we're, we're beyond the problem, beyond the the topic of talking about the problem and more into the solutions. Um, Chris, Chris, what have you seen?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Alex, 100 uh, um, percent. This is it's been a growth period over the past uh, even five years. Um, you know, cybersecurity on the marine terminal side wasn't really a hot topic until about 2013 or so, uh, at least on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, cybersecurity was used as kind of a buzzword, right? And um, I think a lot of terminals, um, you know, I'll just speak for the terminal side, because that's where I was working at the time. Um, It was, people weren't really admitting that it was a real issue, right? I think at the time, people were kind of thinking, okay, well, our IT department handles that, right? And that they're doing everything that they can do, right? Right. And I don't think anyone had a real grasp on what the cybersecurity issue is and how it can really affect the business and how exposed each of these companies could be, right? So fast forward to today and just, you know, as we've worked with our clients over the past four four to five years, I think Alex is 100% 100 right. We're no longer talking about the problem. we're, We're working the problem now. And we are no longer dealing with, uh, you know, IT directors or, uh, you know, CIOs who believe that, well, you know, their, uh, you know, their SHIT doesn't stink, right? Because that's a dangerous way to look at your environment, right? Because everyone has problems, right? And as long as you have a, uh, an IT director or organization that identifies, that says, hey, we know we have problems. How do we get better? Right. That's the the proper attitude to have. And those are the types of clients that we enjoy working with. Uh, We have worked with clients that felt that, that, you know, they're already doing everything right. Um, You know, that they're very guarded with their information. They don't want really want to share right to to us. That's a red flag. Um, We want to work with clients that are willing to get better, right. Let's rip the bandaid off. Let's admit it to ourselves. Hey, we know we have issues, but let's get better.
0: In a in a world oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. You interrupt you.
1: No, no, sorry. Go ahead. ahead.
0: In 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 a world where there's so much to worry about, you know, and you you kind of touched on that. That I think that the threat is, it's there. This isn't something that's it's not theoretical. It's there, and these these chief technology officers, CFOs in particular. They're being hit with it, whether it's the financial fraud that comes from cybercrime, whether it's the um, all the news coverage on malware and ransomware that we see, where very large corporations are just felled. You know, the logistics infrastructure got a lot of attention during the tail end of COVID, in particular, because of the disruptions that happened to our supply chain because of it. And like the two of you, you know, I, I woke up yesterday morning, I get out of bed, I come downstairs to start the coffee. I look, start looking at all my various news sources and lo and behold, planes don't no fly, right? You know, mm. everything's on the ground. The FAA, because of a technology snafu, um, basically told every airport, I believe, in the United States that nothing was coming in or going out. And mm. that is a, a technology failure that caused all of our air traffic to stop. And everyone yesterday was talking about how painful it was for passengers, but what they weren't talking about was how painful it was for this industry because none of the cargo was moving either. And I see a direct parallel between that and what we're talking about today, because you know, for, for God's sakes, air freight is nothing compared to ocean freight. And could you imagine if a similar system on the maritime side, and there are many that we could speak to would have been affected in a similar way where inbound cargo, would have been hit with that. Um, there are also, there was a, a report that came out about an operating system that shared amongst a number of different ocean carriers that may have been hacked into or I believe was hacked into. And I, I don't know what sort of damage came from that, but what if it had? Um, and for, for you know every ounce of air freight, there are hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds of ocean freight that are moved around the world. So the scale of what we saw yesterday should should terrify people to the point of bleeding ulcers, if we think about what it would mean to the maritime industry. I mean, what an illustration of what could go wrong, guys.
2: And that's 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 ties into the purpose and the mission of our company, which is to keep carbon moving despite cyber threat. And it's all built off the foundation of our maritime education, our maritime um experience you know Chris and I like like you we come from the industry so the problems we're solving are in the shoes of our clients because we've been there um, and we're students of this problem students of what needs to be done and we know it needs to be done um this is the world we live in and frankly you know uh, this digital risk is is a lot like other th- things we deal with at sea, um, you know, we, we train to, to handle these things and be able to fail over, right? To be able to, okay, that doesn't work. Let's move it over to the alternate alternate system. And that truly is um, what's, what's needed for all companies um, now in uh, doing business. Everybody's digital. If you're going to be profitable, if you're going to move cargo, if you're going to be safe, you got to be able to do this.
0: Yeah. There's a, a speech that I gave that a lot of guys at Tappa, men and women at Tappa, will recall. And they, they love to talk about, you know, how Pete's like Nostradamus, which I'm not. I'm, I'm just some chubby guy with a hell of a liquor cabinet. And I I went through these, these <laughs> top 20 doomsday scenarios for the global economy. And they, they love to talk about how I said a pandemic could wreck the global economy. Like, well, oh, Pete called COVID. I didn't call it damn thing, right? Um how I, I talked about famines and, you know, war in Ukraine. Like I call all these things that eventually would happen. But the one I always talked about was uh, a major breakdown of, of the cyber infrastructure, particularly with supply chain and what that could mean for the food cycle. You know, so much of what we eat as Americans, not going to affect us. But when you begin to, to mess with the maritime industry in particular, you know, fertilizers and, and food technology and just food itself, if you were able to just break down a couple of ports around the world you could starve to death entire populations uh, and it wouldn't take a lot of time so the it keeps me awake at night and what i what i what i and we're gonna have to shut this down because so it's probably my last question guys but um i worry that this is the kind of thing where you're gonna have to have a maritime catastrophe caused by an incident before somebody takes it seriously and I, I worry, do we have to have a Congressman or a Senator or, uh, you know, a secretary at the cabinet, cabinet level person get engaged in this before they realize just how little has to go wrong before it all goes. wrong?
1: Yeah, Pete, um, back to your original, you know, comment about what happened with the FAA in that system. Um, without really making a comment about what happened because uh, we don't have all the details there. But in general, uh, one of the largest risks that we see in maritime right now uh, on the terminal and on the seagoing side is third party applications, right? No matter what that application is. Uh, these applications are not built with security in mind. Um, security is not at the forefront uh, when these third parties build out their applications, they're building it for production, right? They're building it for function and to sell it and to move it. They're not building it to make sure that they have a secure product. So when you move, you can have the, sec- the most secure network in the world, right? But you introduce a bad application into that network, it's a cancer and it can be a cancer. And it can really expose that terminal or that steamship company uh, to cyber attack, and can do and has the possibility of doing everything that you just mentioned.
0: Yeah, I sat in a conference room once in, in uh, Jacksonville for ADTA, and I remember it was it was General McDew from from uh, Transcom who basically said, "You know what keeps me up at night?" It's the, the, the all these third-party logistics firms using all these third-party softwares, and it just takes a couple of them because we're so interconnected to become a real problem. And that's why we focus on these sorts of things. So, okay, um, we've only got a few minutes left. So Chris, unfortunately, you're going to be the target of the best part of the podcast, which is three questions for Pete that have nothing to do with global trade. Uh, and question number one, very simple one, what was the first car you ever owned and what happened to it?
1: 1993 Ford Bronco with a 5.8 Windsor V8. It was a Florida car. So it was a uh, very uh, high quality, uh, you know, no, not a rust bucket uh, for New England. And I drove that for about a year, bought it for $4,400, sold it for $6,500. Okay. And, uh, and rolled that into my next truck, which was my dream truck, which was a, a 1999 F-250 Super Duty um, that had 58,000 miles on it. And I paid, uh, along with summer money and selling that car, I paid $15,600 cash for it and drove that for 100,000 miles.
0: Yeah, I know which one of you is the accountant in the business. That's great. <laughs> uh, question, question number two. First job you ever had that paid you an actual paycheck. What was it? And do you remember what your your pay rate was?
1: Yes, my starting pay was $11 an hour for the town of Nantucket, Massachusetts when I was 16 years old. And I was working for the Harbor Master uh, on Nantucket Harbor. And that Mm -hmm. was Dave Franzudo.
0: Well, you were like driving boats and scraping barnacles and just doing whatever.
1: Everything, everything. From, uh, you know, hammering spikes into the dock, uh, replacing uh, planks, to uh, doing harbor, you know, security patrols, um, responding to vessels in distress, uh, running, actually, my favorite job, which you may not believe, was running the pump out boat. Okay. The honey honey wagon.
0: Yeah. I I, I bet you got tips. Uh, Yeah, that sounds like a pretty decent job. Now, number three. If Uncle Pete could uh, give you any job that you've ever wanted, and and I had the power to overcome physics and time and space, you know, whatever you want to be, what would that job be?
1: What we're doing right now. And I mean that by not only the mission that we're on right now, but having the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and to be a business owner. Uh, It's something that I wanted to do since, you know, I graduated Mass Maritime, but it's always figuring out how and how to be successful at it and how to do it. And um, it took, you know, I'm 37 now and I graduated in 2008. So, you know, it took a little while to get there, but every decision that we made got me and Alex where we are today. So I'm grateful for that.
0: Well, hopefully, you keep making the decisions and not Alex, because it's probably going to be safe. <laughs> but um, you know, with, with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, say thank you to both of you, and wish you nothing but continued success in this endeavor. I, I think uh, it's it's so vitally important because it's terrifying. I'm so sick and tired, Alex. I am so sick and tired of 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 being chicken little and saying the sky is falling. I'm so. Desperately tired of saying to folks you're not doing enough. And I'm so what I'm really tired of, but is I'm tired of of waiting on the edge for something terrible to happen before people take it seriously. So I think you're doing God's work. I think what you're doing is so important to the country. I think what you're doing is so important to maritime industry, mariners at sea, the warfighter, um, you know, our overall economy. And I can't thank both of you enough for being on the show and for what you do every day. And I'm looking forward to two more years from now, you guys coming on and telling me how you're, you know, building an office park somewhere in Arlington to deal with all the work that you're doing. But uh, (laughs) love you, Alex. I appreciate everything you guys do. And thanks so much for coming on the show and we'll see you next time.
2: Thank you, Pete. All right. Thank you,
0: Pete. An open letter to ocean carriers. Hi there. It's me, your favorite sailor. Uncle Pete, a little over a year ago, I needed a wee bit extra capacity from an ocean carrier. Never mind who. Let's just say we were spending what felt like the GDP of a small nation with you. My account rep at the time almost had a stroke laughing at me over the phone when I asked. What did I ask for? Literally one more box. That's right, one, just one more box on the route from Vietnam to the west coast of the United States. I could have fielded a major league baseball team with what we paid them, and I just wanted one 40-foot ocean container. He said no. Months later, when the demurrage and detention crisis was upon us, our entire industry pointed out that we couldn't return containers because the ports and the carriers had no space for them. But we couldn't pick up the boxes that were taking up all the room in the ports because our yards were full of boxes that they wouldn't take back. The response from the carrier community, what a shame. Please forward your payments for your penalties in a timely manner. Hey, wanna model ship sport? I come at this from a very different perspective than most. I have the odd experience of actually working on these giant, floating asylums. I can tell you firsthand how glorious and wonderful at times and even terrifying and tedious a life at sea can be. I can also tell you that ship owners are cheap. They treat their mariners like interchangeable parts. As my marine cargo professor Captain Charlie Stinky Weeks once told me, quote, "A ship only makes money when it's full and down, mento. Never forget that an empty ship is a very expensive warehouse that floats. Are you drunken class midshipmen? End quote. In any case, when swaying in the direction of the shippers, we absolutely abused you. Nobody seemed to care if you made a dime on a box. We didn't just treat you like a commodity. You made it worse on yourself by cannibalizing your own industry. Eating your young, undercutting each other at every turn, and refusing to see the writing on the wall you needed to invest in digital infrastructure, hammer down debt and stop thinking that bigger always meant better. Then the most awful health crisis of our age happened and you found yourself on the end of the crap heap for the first time in your career that actually didn't stink. The opportunity to reap profits was there and did you ever. Shareholders rejoiced. Bonuses were big. Your sales team, which wasn't really competent, let alone compensated correctly, made tons of money, Some our homes were bought. Your constrained capacity in the beginning actually ended up working for you. You canceled sailings, you let the market decide rates, as I think all of us believe you probably should have. And you told us that in these unprecedented times, the contracts just weren't really a reliable source to measure our relationships anymore. Sorry. Got a problem? Find someone else to move your stuff, sucker. Then, you didn't do yourself any favors when the demurrage and detention issues happened. Most of which, regardless of what you like to tell us, and history will prove me right here, I speculate were caused by your side of the ledger. We needed a partner, and with pending doom on the horizon for pricing, this was your chance, but no. You told us to eat our cream corn and pay our bills. Business is business, and when it came to these contracts, contracts were contracts. This is a revolting industry of boom and bust, boom and bust. You bought shiny new ships and in a no time. Those shiny new ships were on the water. And now you'll scrap what you can and still have too much capacity. Way, way too much capacity in what will be a down economy for the next few years. With inventory levels way out of control, the pricing pendulum swings in the other direction. And I'm begging the shippers to try to exercise some mercy and restraint. But you know what they say about a lever scorned? We all expect more consolidation. We all expect more foolishness. We all expect disgruntled employees to tell us all the dirt when you walk them out the door through what I imagine are going to be some reductions in force. Here's what we don't expect. What we don't expect is for you to change. Each one of your customers is expecting a plate of the same old lukewarm sausage you always dish up late undercooked. But here's an idea. Why not surprise us? Learn from the events of the past five years and change. Invest in infrastructure. Move past arcane notions of capacity modeling. Develop singular technology that is based on your client's needs and not your own. Find ways to cooperate with the greater industry and not just with each other. Be a part of the overall solution over time. This will be better for business and not just some walled off garden that you can divine. And a quick note to the shippers against all of our desires to seek revenge, don't. We all need and desire shipping lines that are financially healthy and willing to cooperate with us by just seeking our pound of flesh. All we create is an environment of mistrust that sets back any progress another decade. Maybe we can be the generation of this industry that sparks some change. I doubt it, but it's worth a shot. I suppose I'd end this letter now. I've got a bunch of these model ships i got to put up on eBay. Sincerely, Pete Mento, former merchant marine and current ocean procurement professional.